Good morning. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jen here at ICF Rome, our Thursday Connect online. I am so happy to be able to join together. I woke up today knowing that God is on the throne and he is in charge of my life. And I am so thankful for that. And uh, so as you're jumping on and joining me, please type in the chat so we can have some interaction. My dear friend Mary is going to be joining us online today. And uh, uh, just want you to know that God is faithful. Hi, ICF Rome. Thanks for helping. Hi, Eunicia. Yay, Eunicia is back in Rome. So happy to see you. I'll see you again uh, in a few days. Um, we are excited for what God is doing. I see all of you. I'm going to try to stay close by. Hi, Boriana. Good morning. Um, it's Thursday, and God is in charge of our lives when we trust in him. Amen. So we are going to start with um, our book study of Be, Be Comforted, and uh, we're how perfect that this week we're going to be doing chapter five. It starts on page 73, and the title of our chapter from Be Comforted is A Refuge in the Storm. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a storm of circumstances and situations, God is the refuge in the storm, and I believe that. I know that. He's faithful. Uh, good morning, Bella. We're happy to have you. Glad you're with us. I hope my friend Barb is able to join here pretty quick as well. She has to wake up early in Michigan to join us. But um, So as we start sometimes on Thursdays when our ladies normally come in, we go around the room and we talk about like just kind of an update. How's your week been? So I'm asking you that are joining me online. Hi, Michelle. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Barb. Yay, you're there. We're glad you're there. So um, if you could use one word to describe your week so far, what would it be? One word to describe your week so far, what would it be? Type it in the chat. So this can be interactive. If I could use one word to describe my week so far, I would say busy <laughs> and a little bit of less sleep. Yes, Boriana Grace, that's awesome. I've been trying to stay up and pay attention to things in my home country and in my country here in my home in Italy to manage things. <laughs> Tornado. <laughs> Michelle, busy. Yes, yes, busy. Uh, good, good. Patience. Okay, awesome. God is faithful. I have to have patience in these weeks too. Um, last night we we reflected on Thanksgiving in our Wednesday night prayer and we said that suffering, we thank God for difficult circumstances. I know, don't, don't shoot the messenger, it's in the scripture. But we thank God for difficult circumstances because in difficult circumstances, it, the Bible says suffering produces patience and perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope. So we thank God for all these many different things that we've experienced this week. So, Lord, we just thank you right now for my friends, my brothers and sisters that are joining now and will join later. I thank you for the book of Isaiah that you imparted words of wisdom and prophecy and hope for the future for all of us. Thank you that this week our chapter is a refuge in the storm. And I pray today that each one of us would remember that you are with us, that we are not doing life alone, and together we are stronger. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know what amen means? Amen means so be it. It is done in the heavenlies. So we praise God for that. I realize I still have my mask. <laughs> I keep it on my wrist so that when I, you know, this is what I have to wear also. 
<laughs> but I'm not doing my mask for you. I'm glad. That's one thing I'm glad about online. I don't have to wear my mask. So let's start with chapter five. And my dear sister Mary, when she jumps on, she'll she has sent me also some wonderful notes and commentary as she does every week. And it's just amazing. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 26 especially. Okay. And I just want to read a little bit of Isaiah 26. It says, in that day. Type in the chat, in that day. In Isaiah, that phrase, in that day, is the beginning of the predictions of the end times that are coming, the prophecy of the Messiah, um, the Redeemer coming, the days when we will be in heaven, and um, when the Lord will come back and make his kingdom here um, as well, according to scripture. So when you're reading through Isaiah and you read in that day, remember that that's a promise for those who love God. It's a warning for those who don't that in that day, there will be judgment. In that day, there will be turmoil. But in that day, this is what I want you to see. A song will be sung in the land of Judah, Isaiah 26. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous may enter and the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. This is Isaiah imparted from the Holy Spirit talking about God, the capital U, capital Y-O-U. God will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed steadfast on him, on you, God, because we trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground. The path, verse 7, the path of the righteous is level. Hmm. Oh, upright. One, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. You make the way, Isaiah 26, 7. You make the way. I'm looking over at the chat so I can interact with you. Isaiah 26, 7. You make the way of the righteous smooth. And so as we look at the refuge from the storm, I want to give you a little bit of what Isaiah is talking about. Amen. After prophecy concerning 11 different nations, this is from our, from our book, Be Comforted. Isaiah, uh, specifically 26 verse 7, Eunicea was one of those really special ones we were looking at. Isaiah enlarged his prophecy and described a judgment that would fall. We talked about those judgments on those 10 nations for the last couple weeks. And the Hebrew word Eretz is used 16 times in chapter 24. It's translated the land, the earth, the world in the King James Version. It's not always easy to tell when Eretz refers to one country or to the whole earth. So we look at the context to guide us in what the scripture is intending for us to understand. So as we look at Isaiah 24 to 27, it describes a global judgment that will end with the destruction of God's enemies, the restoration of God's people, and Israel in their land, that restoration of Israel. And so really important that we understand Isaiah made three declarations that would comfort God's chosen people in that awesome day of judgment. These declarations can also encourage us today as we see our world plunging into sin and rebellion against God. Would God ever deal with the wicked? What hope is there for the righteous? And so we're going to break it down a little bit, and we are going to look at these three declarations, okay? So again, remember that when we're studying the Bible, we look at the context in which it was written. 
we look at the theme or the thread of God's nature and character that runs from Genesis to Revelation. So we can see how Isaiah predicts and prophesies of things that come true in the New Testament. And even in the New Testament, Jesus and others refer back, not to really Isaiah's words, but to what God said to Isaiah. And to show us that God's character never changes. He wants to redeem his people. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. And he wants to encourage our hearts and make our path smooth. Wow. But that doesn't mean that it will be easy. <laughs> okay. So let's look at the first declaration Isaiah makes. We're on page 74 in our book. It says, the Lord will judge his enemies. The result of God's judgment would be a world that's empty, laid to waste, the inhabitants are scattered. The prophet may have had Genesis 1 and 11 in mind when he said, nobody on earth will escape, for God is no respecter of persons. That's from Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Position, power, and wealth are no protection against the judgment of God or the wrath of God. Position, power, and wealth are no protection against the wrath or judgment of God. God merely speaks the word and then things happen. People are proud who are proud of their wealth and position will find themselves poor and without power. So very important that yes, in our world and in our lives, we work to make a living. We work to provide for our families. Hi, Mary. I'm so glad you're here. You jump in with your comments anytime. We're on page 74. Um, but we must remember, as Isaiah was warning them even then, your trust cannot be in the nations. Your, your God is the ultimate provider of all that I have need of. And if I put my trust in kings and rulers and presidents and parties and situations, that is not what will protect me from the wrath and the judgment of God. I need to be in that right standing with God so that it says, remember, the path of the righteous is level, 26 verse 7. So why does God punish the inhabitants of the world? Because they have defiled the world by their sins. When Adam sinned, God cursed the ground as part of the judgment, punishment. That's found in Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8. And God warned the people of Israel that their sins polluted the promised land in Numbers chapter 35. And today we see man's greed polluting land and water and atmosphere. And I want to remind you, this book was written, let me look it up again just to tell you, in... 1992, this wonderful commentary on the book of Isaiah was written in 1992. So lest any of us think that what's going on in the world right now is something new, people have never experienced that before, he's also saying people are messing up the world. But here's what, what we need to know. Sin has consequences in nature as well as in human character and conscience. Sin has a consequence in nature as well as in human character and conscience. So I want to ask you, not being uh, negative, but being real, because we're going to break it down into these three declarations today. How does knowing that the Lord will judge his enemies, first of all, impact your own personal decisions? How does knowing that the Lord has judgment for those who sin? Because those who sin are the enemy of God. Maybe you never thought about it that way. But how does knowing that God will punish and there will be a consequence for sin, how does that affect your personal decisions? I think that's really important. How does knowing that God judges and punishes those who sin affect your personal decisions. Don't be shy. For me, um, when I am tempted to 
get frustrated and angry because the Bible says you can be angry and not be sinning, but angry to the point of, it reminds me, calm it back down. I don't want to sin against the Lord. I don't want to disobey him. Lord, forgive me for letting that take me to a place emotionally or mentally that I should not have let that. It reminds me I need to be thoughtful about the words I say and the attitudes I have. Um, it reminds me to guard myself from anything that would separate me from my family or my call of God on my life. How does knowing that God judges and punishes those sin and impact your personal decisions? Y'all are being quiet this morning. You don't want to reflect on that. Thank you, Bart. Making a conscious effort to always do the right thing and stay humble. Yes. Yes, that's so important. We, When we're humble before God, we can know that I can come and he's going to hear my prayers. That's so good. Humility is something God, Jesus modeled it. And uh, it's not always easy for us to model it, but uh, making that conscious effort. We have to be intentional because if we're not, you could be sitting at a table and suddenly all your friends are doing something and you just get swept up in the moment. When I'm trusting the Lord, um, yes, Boriana, we do right according to his word no matter uh, what the other people are doing. So true. So, so true. So let's jump on down as we're going to, I'm going to fly through this a little bit. Okay. Um, as we look at Again, remember that there's this thread of Bible study. So how do we know that God does this? Well, for centuries, mankind had polluted the world by disobeying God and violating his statutes and commandments, his values. Yes, Michelle, know what you say should glorify the Lord because those that are evil against us, God can take care of it. Absolutely. We don't have to fight those battles. Uh, in fact, I have, I have something. Hang on, I've got to show you. I'm there. Don't go anywhere. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but um, look here. This is one that I have in my office. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Exodus 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So when we're looking at, at the Bible, we can see that this was the reason for the flood with Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Long before Moses gave the law, people knew it was wrong to lie, to steal, and to kill. But they did these things anyway. The everlasting covenant of Isaiah 24.5, Isaiah 24.5 says, The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Amen. Be still, Barb. Yes. Sometimes that's what we have to do. So um, it refers to what we call this Noahic covenant from Genesis chapter 8 and deals primarily with our care of God's world and our treatment of fellow humans. Isaiah 24, 16 says, from the ends of the earth, we hear singing glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray, with treachery, the treacherous betray. Isaiah was a poet and a songwriter. And so he was saying, it feels like the people are treacherous. They don't keep their word. They're not honest and true. Barb showed us how to raise a hand. Anybody ever had somebody that wasn't honest or true, that you were around people that you felt were treacherous? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but I know most of you, so I know um, sometimes that happens. The people of the world have abused both the earth and its inhabitants, and we will pay for it if we don't learn to trust in the Lord, okay? So as we go on down the city, is mentioned at least eight times in these chapters, Isaiah 24, 26, and 27, and should be taken generically rather than as a reference to one particular city. Whether people live in rural areas or cities, they will not escape God's wrath or judgment. Like a farmer harvesting the last olive or grape, God will do the job, the thorough job, of judging the sinners, 24 13 
so it will be on the earth and among the nations when an olive tree is beaten or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, and therefore in the east they'll give glory to the Lord. So God, there's always that, that commandment and then that what we have to do and that consequence of the commandment. There's a, there's a good consequence if I obey it. There's a bad consequence if I disobey it. So good morning, Lisa. We're happy to have you. Wonderful. Um, so as we look at this first declaration, the Lord is the refuge in our storm. He will judge his enemies. I think that's an important thing to remember, too, that not everybody who is hurtful is our enemy. Maybe they need to grow. Maybe they need some grace. Maybe they need some sleep. Maybe they need some food. Um, Pastor Rick is my, my love, and but I'm telling you, he's a bear when he doesn't get his food on time. I love you, darling, if you're watching. But So sometimes people get a little grouchy. Um, I think there's a funny word for that. When, oh, hangry, a little hangry means you're hungry and angry. Uh, <laughs> so we need to be careful that we don't make people our enemies that are not really our enemies, that they really are other people, inhabitants of this earth that God loves and God cares about. But God is saying, I'll judge those who sin against me. Those are the enemies, those who sin against God. I don't want to ever be called an enemy of God because I have disobeyed him. So God is talking to all of us. And the doctrine of the remnant is an important part of Isaiah's message. Uh, Isaiah's eldest son was named a remnant shall return. We saw that in chapter 7 before. So the prophet changed the image in 24, verse 17, when he described the futile attempts of animals trying to avoid the hunter's trap. Apart from faith in the Lord. So, Except for having faith in the Lord, there will be no place of escape in that great day of judgment. No matter where sinners go, they will not be able to hide from the wrath of God. So power, position, and wealth will not keep you from the judgment of God. All of us will face that judgment one day. And that's an important thing for us to know that yes, we make a living. Yes, we make money. Yes, we want to be successful. And some of us climb ladders of success in certain kinds of corporations and careers or establishing your own company. But if I put my trust in my power and my position and my wealth, when that goes away, I will be devastated. Good morning, Anuna. We're happy to have you join us. So we must remember that what is going to keep me in right standing, that I will be the one that says the righteous will flourish. What's going to keep me in right standing is that I don't sin, that I don't become an, an enemy of God, that I obey the laws of the land. On page 75, here's what it says. Um, the opening of the windows of heaven remind us of the flood. Jesus said before the day of the Lord, society would be as it was in the days before the flood. And in that day, remember, in that day is a promise, but it's also a prediction that in that day, if I'm in right standing, I have nothing to worry about. Welcome from Australia. We're glad to have you. In that day, I need to be ready for God's examination of my life. So in that day is a prediction of God's coming, of God's judgment on those who don't serve him. And it is also a promise of a redeemer who will come and heal us. Uh, he will shake everything and any man-made thing that will stagger and fall. The weight of guilt will be too heavy for people to carry. But the day of the Lord will affect not only the earth and its people. Now this is Isaiah. This is really important. But Satan, our enemy, that's God's enemy, and his host, God will judge the powers in the heaven above and the kings on the earth below, 24-21. These judgments will be part of the spiritual battle that has been waging for centuries. The things that we're going through in this world, these are battles that have been waging for centuries, from biblical days when Isaiah was writing about it and talking about the nation's to the times in 1992 when the author of our book warned 
was writing about it to now in 2020, when we can look at nations and we can see them divided and in turmoil, these judgments will be part of a spiritual battle that has been waging for centuries between the Lord of hosts and the armies of the devil. Isaiah 24, 22 parallels Revelation 20, 1 and 3, an event that will take place just before the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. We see that in Isaiah 24, 23. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for uh, the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. And we see it again in Revelations 20, verse 4 through 10. The word visited means released. The climax of the day of the Lord will be the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion. So that's that first declaration. The Lord will judge his enemies. Yes. And the battle that we are in now is that spiritual battle for the soul, not just the soul of a nation, but it's the soul of a people that we look to man and power and wealth more than we look to the word of God to develop our character. And so as we go on now to page 76 and number two, the Lord will preserve his people. Chapter 25, verses one through two. Listen to 25 a little bit. Oh Lord, you're my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things. Amen. You have made uh, marvelous things planned long ago. Verse three, therefore, strong people will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy, a shelter from the storm. I needed that today. Uh, who knew that we'd be on this chapter on this day in November of 2020? I needed the Lord to say to me, you'll be a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat of the battle from the breath of the ruthless, ruthless, like a storm driving against the wall. This is what God does. You silence the uproar of foreigners as the heat is reduced by the shadow of the cloud. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast, a banquet. These are the promises in Isaiah. Um, I hope that while we're doing this study, you get excited about reading actually not just a book, but the biblical passages in what God has to say. So this song of praise, why is it? The Lord preserve them from devastation. The Lord promises he will preserve his children from devastation. Look at, think about the city in terms of war. People fled to walled cities for protection. Remember the walls of Jericho and Joshua? However, the cities couldn't offer protection when God's wrath came. Rebellious cities will be forced to acknowledge God's greatness and to worship him. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when we will not have to face this turmoil and where we will stand and sing around a throne of God with perfect peace for eternity upon eternity. That is going to be a marvelous day. There will be a ruined city. There will be that thought. We are his most beloved treasures, amen? But there is also a refuge. Think about this. Isaiah depicts the storm beating down on us, but he also says, I want you to see the refuge. They, we see a rock and a refuge in Psalm 91 too. I will say of the Lord, thank you, Mary. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 46, we see that God is that rock. He will be a refuge to those who believe and trust him. He cares for us in times of trial and judgment. He cared enough for Noah and his family who had never seen rain, who had never seen a storm like that was coming to preserve them. He made a promise to preserve those who would put their trust in him. Today, maybe you need to be reminded 
Maybe I need to be reminded, yes, I'm a pastor, yes, I'm a minister, yes, I'm a missionary, yes, I'm a grandmother, and I've been around the world a few times. I need to be reminded. He is the refuge in my storm. Amen. Hi, Helen. Glad you're here. God cares for us in these times of trial. He guarded Israel when his judgments fell. He protected Rahab because she believed and her family when Jericho fell in Joshua chapter 6. He preserved that faithful remnant when Judah was taken into captivity in Ezra chapter 9. Throughout the centuries, he has kept the church. Listen to that. Throughout the centuries, God has preserved his church in spite of the attacks of the enemy. I have known attacks inside the church and outside the church and against the church. But God preserves us because we are the church. We are his bride and he will do everything he can to preserve the church. So even in the midst of COVID-19 in 2020 and we can't have, you know, long times of worship and altar time and everybody gathering and standing close together and raising our hands and praying together. But we, the enemy can't stop the church. And we see that right now by joining online. We see it on Sundays. We see it online. We see it on campus. Okay, we can't have this many people in the building. Then we'll have two services. And guess what? Last Sunday, we had more people in two services than we've had since we got to start meeting again. So God is expanding the church, even in the midst of the enemy trying to attack and quiet her. But we as believers have to, have to fear the Lord, fear that there will be a day of judgment. And therefore I will decide to follow God even when no one else is. I have decided to follow Jesus no matter what. And I think that is a powerful, powerful statement. He will deliver his church from the wrath to come. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 and chapter 5 and verse 9, when the day of the Lord comes to this godless world, God will see to it that the Jewish remnant will be preserved. Hide yourselves for a little while, Isaiah 26 says, so the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people for their sins. Really important that we understand standing with Israel, standing with the Jewish nation is something the Bible has compelled us to do. God has made a way for Jews and Gentiles for, for he said there is no uh, male or female, no Jew or Greek, no rich or poor, we're all, he's no respecter of persons. But he tells us, to stand with Israel. This is biblical because these other nations, this is why Bible history is important. When we see how these other nations before, like we looked at last week, were wicked and they turned away from God and they began. And yes, even some in Israel would say, I trust in wealth and power and position. And God is saying, no, that isn't what you're supposed to do. There will be a remnant. Even in Israel, there will be a remnant. Thank you, Eunicia, for that verse. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. We must be ready for in that day. And so, uh, you know, as a child, I can tell you that I did have a healthy fear of the Lord and of judgment and of hell, and I didn't want to miss heaven. I still don't want to miss heaven. So on days when the enemy came in like a flood and I was in great turmoil or I had a great attack on me and maybe I thought I don't want to do this anymore and I could remember the Holy Spirit reminding me in that day, you're going to be responsible for your decision on this day. You're responsible for this day on that day. Don't forget that. And today you can choose to follow the Lord. The second thing we see as we look at the Lord will preserve his people is that there would be a feast. 
And in the Old Testament, for the Old Testament Jew, a feast was a picture of the kingdom age when the Messiah would come and reign over Israel and all the nations of the world. Israel would return to her glory and the Gentiles would come to Zion to worship the Lord. When Jesus used the image of the feast in Matthew 8 and Luke 13, the people knew he was speaking about the promised kingdom. God used that feast to say, one day we will be around the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we're going to be worshiping, but we're going to be feasting in heaven. We're going to be celebrating. Now, Pastor Rick might say uh, <laughs> he's going to have pasta in heaven. I don't know what the heavenly food is. Uh, I might say it was going to be tacos. Um, but I'm sure that whatever it is, it won't be burnt. It won't be over seasoned. It will be so flavorful and so wonderful and it will nourish our soul forever and ever and ever and ever. Wow, I don't have to worry about the outcome of elections. I don't have to worry about the outcome of COVID quarantine and lockdown and restrictions. I don't have to walk in fear. So knowing that the Lord will preserve his people from Isaiah chapter 25 and 26. How does that, even in, it says the sovereign Lord, Isaiah 25, seven and eight. On, um, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. So that heaviness, okay? On, that, on this mountain of Zion, he will destroy it that sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. We won't die. We'll live eternally. <laughs> Heavenly flavored food. Thank you, Eunicea. The sovereign Lord, there's that name that Isaiah gives to his sovereign Lord in charge of my life, will wipe away the tears from all faces and he will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. If you have ever felt disgraced or sorrowful, or worried beyond description. There is a day coming. You don't want to miss it. You stay strong. You choose for the ones that are around you that you are influencing. Could be your daughter. Could be your granddaughter. Could be your sister. Could be your roommate. Could be your colleague at work. You have been positioned to let them know God is in control. That hasn't changed. It's a message we need now more than ever, and it is powerful. And this promise that one day he will wipe away every tear from our face. The funeral will be turned into a wedding. Verse 8 was quoted by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and by the Apostle John in Revelation 7 and 21. Again, here is that beautiful correlation thread of the Bible that we can see that what men of God were imparted to by the Holy Spirit, that they wrote before the days of Christ, hundreds and thousands of years before, now comes into play and we see that there is a correlation in the New Testament after the birth of Christ and Jesus has walked on the earth and men have literally seen him die on a cross be buried in a tomb, come back. From, men and women have seen his resurrected body. They've been with him. They've watched him ascend to heaven. Don't you think that Paul knew that, and, and John and the disciples that they knew, if we watched him go and he said he would, he said he would die and come back and he did. Don't you know that when he said, don't worry, I'm going, but I'm gonna send a comforter that's gonna be the spirit of truth. He's going to comfort you in all things. He's going to empower you that they believed it. Well, I can tell you, as I look at what was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament comes true in the New Testament, God is in control. He will preserve you and me. Type that in the chat. He will preserve me. God will preserve you. You think you're going to waste away. You think it's going to be disastrous. God will preserve us. There's that correlation of scripture in the old and the new. Now, the third thing we see, this third declaration, so powerful, on page 78 of our book, is that the Lord will restore the nation. Before we go there, we have a minute or two. What does knowing that God will preserve you... Um, 
Why do you think that's hard? I'm going to ask you a different way. Knowing that God will preserve you, why is it hard to remember that when we're facing a mountain? Why is it hard to remember that God will preserve us when we're facing a mountain? Why is it hard to remember that God will preserve you when you're facing a mountain? I'm waiting for your chat. I think for me, sometimes it's hard to remember um, if I get too busy and I don't take a minute to settle down. Lord, it might only be a minute, might only be a couple minutes, but to, Lord, help me remember. Sometimes it's because I have the name of the situation on my lips, sickness, disease, turmoil, disappointment, betrayal, brokenness, separation. I have those things on my lip. Yep, we forget who is in control. When I began to put, this is why it's hard for me, because I put those things on my lip and therefore they're in my mind. Philippians said, whatsoever things are true in chapter four, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are of virtue and of good, if there be any virtue or any praise, think on these things. So why is it hard to remember that God will preserve me when I'm facing a mountain? Because what's been on my lips and been in my mind and that I'm thinking on, I'm giving more time to that mountain than I am to the miracle maker. Don't give more time to the mountain than the miracle maker. We give too much time to the mountain and not enough time to the miracle maker. Mm -mm -mm. God will give us a refuge in a storm. He has promised to judge the enemies of the Lord, the enemies, the enemy. The enemy is cast down once and for all, the scripture tells us, and he is not victorious. No weapon, he can form a weapon, but no weapon formed will prosper. That's why the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present for, with the Lord. So even in death, the child of God, yes, Barb, that human side takes over. We get in the flesh. Absolutely. And we just have to say, Lord, help me to think about this in those supernatural terms again. We need to be reminded of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, really important that when we think about how God was depicting this feast, remember that God depicted this, that, that there would be a blessing for those who are invited to the wedding feast in Revelation 19.9. Somebody want to put Revelation 19.9 up? <laughs> uh, Revelation 19.9. He promised to wipe all tears from our faces. Paul quoted it. The apostle John quoted it. Um, that the veil would be removed. Zechariah 12, 10, that we would see the Messiah, that we would trust him. Isaiah 25, 9, in that day, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah 25, 9, when we trust in the Lord, yes, we stop and meditate, go to a quiet place. Remember, Moab, one of those nations known for the pride and her arrogance and her conceit, but all of that was empty. God humbles the enemies of Israel and God will bring low the nations that try to exalt themselves and exploit others and refuse to submit to the Lord. That's the part. We, we learned at the very beginning since we've been studying Isaiah that Isaiah loved his nation. It's not wrong to love your nation. I, I'm here at the International Christian Fellowship where there's over 70, 75, 80 nations represented. 
and the Kenyans, man, they support Kenya. They are proud to wear their Kenyan colors. The ones from Nigeria are proud to wear their country colors. They pray for their country. They love their country. The ones from Italy, they love their food and their pasta. Um, the ones from uh, Australia today, I know you must think Australia. I do. I haven't got to go there, but I hear how beautiful it is. Um, those from the various beautiful countries of Europe and um, out of you know, the big steel concrete cities that live in the mountains and the beautiful green lands, wherever it might be, it's okay to love our nation. But what God is saying here is that these nations that would exploit others and refuse to submit to the Lord. How low will the proud be humbled? Isaiah said, like straw trampled beneath the manure that people have to swim to get out of it. Isaiah was like a very artistic writer. So we know that the Lord will preserve his people. We also know, so God will judge his enemies, number one. God will judge his enemies. Number two, the Lord will preserve his people. I want to be one of his people. I want to be one of his people. Yes, I see Mary putting that Kenyan flag up there. Woohoo! Uh, for me, I'm an American, but I'm really a Texan, so I put the Texas flag up because I love Texas. I love tacos and Tex-Mex and chili and my cowboy boots. Uh, and I love that Texans are, man, they, they love God and country. They really do. And uh, that's something I grew up learning in church and Sunday school. You love God. You love you, Jesus. I learned it at school. I learned it in church. I learned it in my neighborhood. Um, but God will preserve his people. Number three, though, this is important. The Lord will restore his nation. The Lord will restore the nation. Isaiah says, Israel will be singing once more. And this time the emphasis will be on righteousness and peace. Now hear this, there can be no true peace apart from righteousness. When they sing again, there will be a song of righteousness and peace. Yeah, Barb, we love Motown too. I've been in Michigan a long time, like 38 years before I came to Italy. We love us some Motown. It's the good Motown music and Motown of all the cars and the automobiles that are known for being made in the Detroit, Michigan area. We love our Motown roots uh, and all the sports. Pastor Rick loved all the sports teams in Motown for sure. There can be no true peace apart from righteousness. Isaiah 32 verse 17. Let, let me turn over to that real quick. 32 verse 17. The fruit of righteousness. Isaiah 32 verse 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling. Mm -mm 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 -mm. I want you, when we're done with this, to go read Isaiah 32. Go read Isaiah 32 because it is powerful. Here is the promise, justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness will live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. That is an amazing promise, an amazing promise that we can trust in the Lord. Amen. Love and faithfulness will meet together Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are going to see the Lord in Jesus' name. Um, Jesus Christ is our true Mel Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. That's what Hebrews chapter 7 says. It's at Calvary that peace and righteousness came together. Psalm 85.10. Peace and righteousness came together on Calvary when Jesus died for our sins so that we could live in right standing. And by being in righteousness, here is a, you should circle this. Where's my highlighter? I got my highlighter. I'm highlighting this in my life application study Bible. The kingdom of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. My people will live 
Oh man, I'm going to be taking a picture of this and posting it later. Isaiah 32, 17, and the first part of verse 18 is what I have on my Bible. It's really heavy, so I can't lift it up right now. Compare Isaiah 26, 2, that says, Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. So regardless of who your president is or your prime minister, you are a part of the nation where you live. And for those of us that live abroad, we're part of two nations, our home nation and the nation where we live. Um, but just like I'm the church, you're the church, I am also part of the nation, regardless of who my leader is. If I'm a child of God, God is my leader. And therefore, I am responsible for my actions and my reactions. Something very important. I'm not responsible for your actions and your reactions. You're responsible for that. I am responsible for my actions and for my reactions, for my words, for the flesh <laughs> that I need to take control over. So Isaiah 26, 2 says, open the gates that the righteous nation may enter and the nation that keeps faith. Psalm 15, 1 through 5 says, the Lord who may dwell in your sacred tent who may live on your holy mountain? Remember, that's what Isaiah's been talking about. In that day, not only what we have right now, but in that day, there's coming a day when we're going to dwell on a holy mountain. The one whose, whose walk is blameless. I have to tell you, this was written in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came, these men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, were laying out the plan of salvation. Amen that they would know in the Old Testament, Jesus is coming. There is a plan of redemption and I must walk blameless. And there's a promise in Isaiah and also we see it in Psalm 15. And Jesus comes to fulfill the pathway to that promise. Jesus comes to fulfill the pathway to the promise that we're talking about of the Lord preserving his people, restoring the nation. Jesus is that pathway. So Psalm 15 says, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander. Mm -mm -mm. Let that sit with you for a minute. No gossip, no talking about someone else, no putting them down, no listening to that. Maybe we need to memorize that. And if someone starts talking to you about somebody else, you need to say, wait, Psalms 15 says, the tongue that utters no slander is going to dwell on the high holy mountain. So sorry, but I can't entertain that conversation right now. I love you, but I'm not going to entertain that conversation right now. Who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises the vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. So we're despising the sin, not actually the the person and God can redeem them, right? Um, and who fear the Lord, who keep an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. The one who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And we see it again in chapter 24, 1 through 10. Mm -mm -mm. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. Isaiah 24, 1 through 10. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? We sing a song here, Welcome King Jesus, that we use this passage. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive the blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. It doesn't matter how old we are. Eunicea, you're a couple generations behind me, but we're in the generation that's seeking the Lord. Amen? Boriana, you and me, we're in that generation. Michelle, we are the Braveheart girls. Barb, we're the Braveheart girls. Lift up your heads. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Remember? He, he fights the enemy, he judges the enemy, he preserves his people, and he restores the nation. Who is this king of glory? Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Remember, when Isaiah is talking about the city of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the King of glory coming in, that we will be with him on that holy mountain. We will know peace and righteousness. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, means more than a sensation, than an ending of war. Shalom means more than just an absence of war. It means wholeness, health, quietness of soul, preservation and completeness. What is your peace? It's kind of a Jewish greeting in Isaiah's response. My peace is from the Lord for I trust wholly in him. Paul's counsel in Philippians is based, Paul's counsel in Philippians chapter four is based on Isaiah 26, three. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Philippians four in the New Testament. He will give me peace that passes understanding. Yes, Lisa, he restores. For some of you, Lisa's husband was in a terrible motorcycle accident and lost uh, part of his legs, and God is restoring him to health and um, to a good outlook and restoring Lisa as well. We praise God for that. So Isaiah's response is peace. Now, this is what I love. Isaiah 26, 7 through 11. The path of the righteous is level. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Oh, Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Here in verse 12 of 26 is that word again. Isaiah 26, 12. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Your name alone do we honor. Do we honor. Isaiah has this image of the highway that God is putting with us that is so, so powerful. The quietness of the soul, the traveling of the rough road, but one day there will be a level path when the kingdom of God is established. I have four minutes. We're going to pray. And we're going to finish uh, next week, The Refuge from the Storm. We're going to do page 80, 81, and a couple reflection questions, okay? Um, we got through quite a bit. So what were our declarations? The Lord will judge his enemies. That's a refuge for my storm, and I don't have to worry about it. That he will preserve his people. And I want to be one of those people. And I will have righteousness. And righteousness will be the pathway for peace. And the Lord will restore the nation. He shows his people grace thousands of times. But even though they continue to do evil. The prophet prays, the prophet Isaiah prays that God will reveal himself through his people. My soul yearns for me. When your judgments come upon the earth and the people learn of the world, learn righteousness. And even if they don't learn, oh Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. But he says, let them see your zeal for your people. The reviving and restoring of Israel should help to convince a lost world that God is not dead and that he keeps his promises. Israel is an important part of the Bible and we need to remember that. So, as we remember that God gives grace, he will make our paths level. We'll start with number three, the woman in travail next week. Um, and we'll, we'll go on to that next week. But can I just leave you this little hint next week? Number four out of he will restore his nation is that he will give us a life-giving dew, that new fresh dew in the morning. When Christ returns for his church, we will be raised from the dead. Yes, there will be judgment. There will be a resurrection and we will be saved. But in that day, we, we, we read it, go up in the chat and read the one from Thessalonians. God is coming in the wink of an eye when we are asleep and, and, and unsure, but we are ready to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the promise of the refuge in the storm that while I'm in this earth, 
I'm responsible for my actions and my reactions. That when I walk in right standing, I will know peace. So many times I counsel people who are in turmoil, and a lot of times they're in turmoil because they've let sin in. Maybe they think it's a secret sin. Maybe I don't know everything that's happening. But if they've let that sin of unrighteousness and disobedience to what God instructs us, it's not just the Ten Commandments. There are many things that God gives us commandments for. And when we walk in righteousness, right standing with God, that's when the peace of the Lord comes. The fruit of righteousness, I want to leave you with Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in a peaceful dwelling. So Lord, today, thank you for my friends. Thank you for this time we've had to study Isaiah. Thank you for what these declarations have encouraged me with today. That you will judge the enemies of you, O Lord, those who do not put your, your ways first. You will judge them. And Lord, you will preserve your people. And you will restore your nation. And God, we want to be a part of that everlasting kingdom of God that will know the righteousness of God and the peace of God forever and ever. I love you. As they say in Italy when they greet pace, which means peace. It looks like pace, but it's pace. So peace and blessing. I will see you. Ladies, if you're in Italy, come on Saturday. It's not too late for you to come. It starts at 11. We'll go for an hour. We'll have a little break and go get a snack outside because we can't do food. And then we'll come back together at 1.30. It's kind of like one whole service with a gap in the middle, but it's an hour service and an hour service. They're both different. We got prizes galore. It's going to be amazing. Saturday at 11 at ICF Rome. I even have a little boutique where people can do a little shopping for free. And everybody's getting something very special to take home with them. Saturday at 11, you are designed for life. And together with the Sisterhood of Faith, it's going to be a fun day on Saturday. Then join us online Sunday at 1145 online. Sunday, we are going to start only one online service. It will be at 1145 Rome time on online. We're going to do in campus 10 a.m. and 1145. And we'll do one online service. Hopefully that will help us with some of our technical difficulties and uh, we'll see how that goes. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. See you next Thursday. Love you guys. Praying for you wherever you are.